Hi, and welcome to the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra podcast. I'm Felipe Tristan, assistant conductor. And the clip of music you just heard was Orpheus in the Underworld Overture by Offenbach. In this episode, we will be speaking with David Bernard, music director of the Park Avenue Chamber Symphony, who is our guest conductor with the BSO for this concert cycle and performing Firebird by Stravinsky and Scheherazade by Rimsky-Korsakov on April 9th. Later, we will be speaking with Hannah Finkelberg, co-concertmaster of the BSO, about her beginnings in music and what it's like to perform Scheherazade. And now here we are with David Bernard in the studio. Hi, David. Thank you for coming in today. It's nice to be here. So let's start right in with the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from New York. I grew up on Long Island in a town called Great Neck. And how was your first involvement with music or with arts? Well, I grew up in a musical family. My mother has, uh, has been to Juilliard. She studied voice and piano. My father, while not a musician, uh, was a, uh, definitely a music enthusiast. And there was a lot of music in the house, a huge record collection, a piano. And so I had a lot of access to music and musical instruments. What was your first practical encounter with music? What instrument did you play? I started on the piano, and I started when I was four. And after a period of time when I was nine, I started the clarinet. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. When did conducting come about? Conducting came about in high school. I had a very busy, busy schedule in high school. I was a member of two youth orchestras. Playing clarinet? Playing clarinet. And I was a student at Juilliard Pre-College. I was also a member of the Great Neck Symphony, which is a semi-pro orchestra. And in high school, I started to study conducting at Juilliard Pre-College and also became assistant conductor of the Long Island Youth Orchestra. All of that when I was a senior in high school. And you were at Juilliard Pre-College Mm-hmm. What came after that? Well, I went to the Curtis Institute, and then I went to SUNY Stony Brook. For clarinet or conducting or both? For clarinet and conducting. And then had a series of positions as a conductor, and then founded the Park Avenue Chamber Symphony. That's wonderful. Well, congratulations. The Park Avenue Chamber Symphony is definitely one of the, the best community orchestras in the city, if not in the Northeast. Please tell us about the orchestra and how did did that happen? 1999 is when we founded the Park Avenue Chamber Symphony. And what I realized and appreciated was that in New York City, there are many players who are not professional musicians who play at a very high caliber. And they're looking for a place to play at a high level. And so we were thinking through all of the ways in which to create a high caliber group, all the way from how to run rehearsals, how to focus on attendance, how to focus on preparation, how to focus and make sure that every minute of rehearsal time is used to hone the performance and to increase the level and to build the orchestra. One of the things that we have started recently is called Classical Music from the Inside Out. Now, Classical Music from the Inside Out came about pondering the challenge of classical music in society. 
So if we look at orchestras are having issues in terms of you see orchestras folding, you see attendance going down, you see all of these things happening, especially in the professional level as well. And so one day I was thinking about how could this be? In other words, I would spend $75, $100 on a ticket to see, say, the Berlin Philharmonic at Carnegie Hall, and I know a lot of my friends would too, right? But clearly there are people who wouldn't. Right? Right. And so it's not a problem with the product. It's not a problem with, with what's on stage or what's being performed. But clearly there are people who wouldn't do that and a lot of people who wouldn't. Right? And then it dawned on me, the difference between people like us, like you and me, and people like that are that those people did not have the experience of being inside the music the way we have from mm -hmm. an early age. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think back to the first time you were in an orchestra or a band or any kind of ensemble, that the experience of being inside the music is entirely different and amazing and engaging and incredible when compared to sitting 40, 50, 60, 70 feet away from the stage and listening to the music itself. Now, Correct. It's a whole yeah. different experience and particularly myself as a flute player, of course, and you as a clarinet player, we sit at the very center of the orchestra. So I can totally relate to what you're saying of really being inside of the music. Absolutely. You're able to see, feel, and hear what's going on around you, not just hear it, right? And so I was thinking that what if we just brought those people inside the orchestra mm. for a concert, right? Bring them inside, set things up so you bring the audience inside the orchestra and you play a performance. This is not a young person's concert, it's not kind of, oh, here's an oboe or anything like that. It's just simply you, you seat the people inside the orchestra and play Beethoven's Fifth. You wow. play the first movement of Beethoven's Fifth and have them experience it from inside the orchestra. I understand that WQXR did a great review of this concept, this, this idea. Yes, WQXR was at our, was at our second event, which happened this year. Uh -huh. The event was amazing. It was amazing and very satisfying and incredible for me because there were people in the audience who never attended a concert before and never would have. But they see this event and this is more of an experience than a concert. Right. That's why I try to make it sound like because everything today is about experience. I agree. So when can we hear uh, your orchestra, whether in an Inside Out series or a regular season? Well, our next concert is May 21st. Okay. Uh, it's a Sunday afternoon at All Saints Church in New York City. Uh, the program is Mozart's 25th Piano Concerto with Spencer Meyer as the soloist mm -hmm. and Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony, the Pathétique. Pathétique. Wow. Great program. So talking about programs, tell us about the program that you planned to guest conduct BSO, our orchestra, uh, Russian Music. How, how did, and did you plan this program? Well, what is compelling about this program is how both pieces are focused on storytelling through music. Storytelling, when we talk about it, we just spent a few minutes talking about engagement and how classical music can be an experience. Well, one of the ways classical music can be an experience for listeners is that is, it, is that it has a compelling storytelling component to it. So just to, yeah. to clarify for our audience, we are talking about 
Rimsky-Korsakov's Scheherazade, and Stravinsky's Firebird. So continue, David. Yes. So both Rimsky-Korsakov's Scheherazade and Stravinsky's Firebird have very powerful narratives through the, through the music. Um, but they arrive at those narratives in different ways. So if we look at Firebird first, Firebird is a ballet. And typically, ballets have a very powerful narrative in them. The story is realized not only through the music, but in the dancing and the costumes and the, and, and the choreography. But you can always hear the story through the music in a ballet. And so Firebird has that powerful storyline that combines two Russian folktales. One of them is the glowing firebird. Yeah. The yeah. other is the evil King Cachet, right? And so he combined the two stories together and made a, a wonderful work. He was asked to write this by Diaghilev, Diaghilev. right, uh-huh. uh, in Paris after Diaghilev tried to get several other composers to write that ballet. And this is a new edition, I understand, Yes. Now, the interest now it is a ballet. Now, ballet music, uh, especially Stravinsky ballet music, is notorious for issues and errors, and especially the <laughs> suites, right? This is not the full Firebird. Right. This it's is selections. the Firebird suite. Correct. Right. And it was developed by Stravinsky uh, as a concert version, right? And not a ballet version. And in creating this suite, he created it. Uh, with a more limited orchestra. So the orchestration is is a little more sparse than the original. And so the other piece is Rimsky-Korsakov's Scheherazade, huge piece, a milestone in the repertoire. Can you tell us about the piece? Rimsky-Korsakov wrote Scheherazade not as a specific musical presentation of a specific tale from the Arabian Nights. There aren't tales in the Arabian Nights that map directly to the story in this music. He did it more as a higher level depiction of the feeling of the Arabian Nights. That was that's he was very careful about not making this totally program music, right? Although there is something of a story. You were escorted through the tale by the solo violin playing the theme to Scheherazade. But through these tales, you are put on a journey through the music. You are the journey, Sinbad's ship. You actually feel the waves. You feel as though you're there, right? Um, You feel the love of the prince and the princess in the third movement, which is my absolute favorite section of the piece, the opening. It's it's beautiful, yeah. The the opening phrase is just a scale. It's an elaborated scale. And through a miraculous poetry, Mm -hmm. Rimsky-Korsakov is able to convey powerful narrative through a simple scale, the opening of the third movement. Mm -hmm. And then off to Baghdad, a bazaar in Baghdad in the fourth movement, and then back to Sinbad's ship. It's, It's wonderful for an audience. And so I'm very excited about the performance coming up with the Brooklyn Symphony. Likewise, very much looking forward. We are happy to have you with the Brooklyn Symphony. Can you tell us, after observing your rehearsals, 
what goes through your mind and captivating the attention of the orchestra. And granted, of course, every conductor is different and the energy between the parts sure. varies even from day to day. But I've enjoyed thoroughly watching your rehearsals, observing the way you work with, with the orchestra. Can you tell us a little bit about this process, what goes through your through your mind as you're working, making music, and you have a plan, a clear plan of what you want to accomplish overall and for that session? Well, that's a big topic, but I'll, <laughs> I'll give it my best. So the objective during a rehearsal, I always like to say, uh, to quote Carlos Kleiber, it's all about the music. Music first. Nice. Right? And so... Everything is about the music, but I would I would amend that. So it's it's music and the musicians. Hmm. And the important thing here is that the objective in rehearsals is to build confidence in the music making in the musicians. That's key, right? So you'll see in rehearsals, uh, I sometimes use various techniques to build confidence in various ways of playing, various ways of phrasing. I I do come with a clear idea of what I'm looking for. Uh, but it's not just about what I'm looking for. It's about how I can inspire and build confidence in the orchestra and how to actually play that way. Right. right? To really instill yeah. that desire to want to do it, to participate, give their best every time. Exactly. And to feel that, they're, that they are on top of it. Right. And that comes also from a lot of preparation. I mean, what I do after each rehearsal is I develop rehearsal notes and then uh, so it's a rehearsal plan and rehearsal notes and sometimes depending on the orchestra I send those notes to the orchestra I have to ask um, when do you have time to write your your notes because they're absolutely thorough notes very specific measure per measure instrument per instrument I love reading them and I now for very positive comments from the orchestra oh fantastic and you know the part of it comes from uh, thinking about um, that many of the musicians in a group like this want to know what I'm hearing, what I'm thinking, and that kind of thing. And so it's available to them when I write these up. And I I tend to do it, I try to do it the next day right. uh, after a rehearsal. Fresh. Yeah. So that being said, how would you describe your experience working with BSO? Oh, I love working with the, with BSO. BSO, the musicians are so, they are so enthusiastic and they really want to do a great job. And that enthusiasm Correct. and their talent that they bring to this is inspiring. And uh, you know, the important thing here is that when we come together in a rehearsal, we bring our positive energy to build that confidence in the music making. And we've done that successfully in these rehearsals. I, I agree. I agree. And the yeah. music itself is speaking for, for what you're saying. David, thank you very much for coming in the studio today. We're honored to have you with the orchestra for this cycle. It has been a very, very nice experience to watch you work with it, and I'm sure it's going to be a great concert. Thank you very much. It's been a wonderful experience working with the BSO during this cycle. I, you know, I, I, For me, it's not just about the concert. It's about the rehearsals and the entire experience, and uh, it's just been great getting to know each member of the BSO, both as people and as musicians. Thank you very much. My pleasure.
We are here now with Hannah Finkelberg, co-concert master of the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. So let's jump right in and start with the basics. Where are you from? I was born in Holland, Michigan, and I lived there until I was about two and a half or three, and then I moved around a bit. I moved to Arizona, and then Colorado, and then I moved to New York City finally when I was nine. And where where was your first encounter with music? Well, my mom is a violinist, so I used to bother her all the time when she was practicing. So um, I used bother to just, her how? Like my own daughter's bothering me now when I'm practicing, <laughs> climb into her case and try Karma. to grab her violin. So my uncle made me this wooden violin. Clearly, violins are wooden, but he made me a toddler-proofed wooden <laughs> violin that I could color. Um, so I used to just destroy that. And then eventually, when they decided I wasn't going to throw a violin maybe across the room, they bought me my own violin. I started about, I don't know, between two and a half and three. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I wish I could remember what I learned because I would like to start my own daughter in the same way, but I'll figure it out. I think I just played around with it and learned, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. And then when I was four, that's when I started Suzuki lessons. That's wonderful. Really, really early. And I guess you don't have a clear memory on, on when it was your very first time playing a violin because you started with a toy. Fortunately. That's, it's I pretty think painful it's, to start. I, I So uh, I've heard. <laughs> that's wonderful. And so in New York, you were nine years old once you, uh, your family was established here. Yes. My dad... Got a job here, and I wanted to audition for Julia pre-college. So I did, and I got in when I was nine. I had a crazy audition. I don't know. Do you want to hear the story? Of course. So my pianist accompanied me. It was in August, so the air conditioning was running. Full blast. And the music was blown off the piano. And she got really flustered, and I'm trying to play. I, I don't remember what I was playing, but... All these adults were watching me and judging me, and she was so flustered she could not pick the music up by herself. So my violin teacher, who was also one of the people judging me to get in, got up out of her seat, and they were, like, picking up the music. It took, like, I swear, it felt like two minutes for them to figure out how to put this music back on the piano. And I kept playing, and I was just, like, looking, like, what is happening right now? So I don't know. I was just like, I got to keep playing. So that's what I did. At this point, you were how old? Nine. Uh Uh-huh. And... So that was my audition. It was pretty wild. Wow. It was okay, though, because I got in. And I studied there until age of 18, and I learned a lot. It was a pretty intense environment. How is it intense for those listeners that, that don't know the, the pre-college program at Juilliard? Uh, well, it's Saturday program all day. So even at 9, I went from like 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. One year, I was in three different chamber groups. You would have master class, private lesson, Solfege, music theory, a full day, you get a break for lunch, but it's a pretty long day. And then you would also separately have a violin lesson during the week. And then you were expected to practice um, many, many, many hours a day. Um, the older you got, is pretty intense. Of course. Wow. Um, and um, yeah, we had many opportunities. Like when I was the summer, I was nine. 10, um, we accompanied Isaac Perlman. He played with our baby orchestra on one of the Mozart violin concertos. And That's fantastic. It was, it was pretty cool. Like, I went to camp once with Yo-Yo Ma's daughter, and he coached one of my trios. It was it was really cool that 
I got to meet all these Yo-Yo people. Yo-Yo Ma coached your trio. Because mm-hmm. his so daughter you, was at our camp. The daughter and... Yes. I wasn't in with the trio with his daughter, but he his she was attending camp, so he yeah. was visiting, and then they kind of said, can you help out with our music program one day? It was really cool. Of course. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. And what came after that? So I didn't think that I wanted to be a professional musician just because, I don't know, I felt like the environment was so intense at Juilliard, I kind of was feeling a little rebellious by the time I was 18, and I wanted to see what else was out there. And I just, I saw that unless you were at the very, very top, it was hard to make a living. So honestly, I just kind of wanted to take a break. So I took a break in college, but then by the time I was a sophomore, I went back and I started taking lessons again and joined chamber music and orchestra for fun, and it was great. So in a way, you needed a little breather yeah. and then went back with a different spirit. Yeah, I really felt like I, I... I always enjoyed playing, but it was nice to go back with just playing purely for the joy of it. And the same thing happened, so discovering BSO. Right out of college, I became a New York City teaching fellow that was pretty intense because I had to get my master's at the same time as being a new teacher. So I was pretty busy those two years. But after two years of doing that, I had some more time. And I wanted to have music still be a part of my life, even though I was a math teacher. So that's when I used Google and I searched around for where can I play violin in a local orchestra? And I happened to live in Brooklyn, right by um, Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra. At the time at St. Anne's Church. Yes. This was probably, I don't know, 2007. Right, right on. Very good. And so you share the role of concertmaster. You're a co-concertmaster. And so can you tell us a, a little bit about what is a concertmaster? So um, a concertmaster is supposed to be a kind of leader for the orchestra. We're supposed to make sure that we know more than everyone else in terms of when to come in. And you set the Boeings, you talk with the conductor about what the plan is. Sometimes there's sectionals that you have to help run. Leading with with your playing, with the movement, with nuances, it, mm-hmm. would you say that? Yeah. That's true? Uh-huh. Yeah. And now in this program, the next concert, we are presenting Rimsky-Korsakov's Scheherazade, huge piece for for you for the, for the violin can you tell us about what it's what is this piece about and what it's your preparation for it um well it's always been one of my favorite pieces i i didn't play the part of Scheherazade when i was in school but my orchestra played it and i just thought it was so beautiful and then the story behind Scheherazade and the A Thousand and One Nights, I also became very interested in that, and I read the novel, and I, I became so obsessed with it that I I got a dog around the same time Orchestra was playing, and I named my dog Scheherazade. I named really? her yes, I named her Sherry for short, so it wasn't you know too. <laughs> calling down the street Scheherazade, like a right. nickname, but I was really. <laughs> It, this piece really did make a huge impression on me. It's still one of my favorite pieces. Preparation, I like to listen to it. I practice the part. You're doing a wonderful, wonderful job with it, and every rehearsal has been just lovely, and I'm sure the Thank performance you. will be fantastic. So why don't you guide more or less uh, for the listener what should we expect to listen in this piece, and in particular in each moment that there is apparently a cadenza 
written for 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 you for the violin what what should we pay attention to well the opening movement starts with the main theme for Scheherazade that's played by the violin and that melody you can hear throughout each movement i think uh -huh. it appears at least once you can't miss it it's just complete solo violin and there's some little variations to that particular theme that you'll be able to hear in the fourth movement it's um, particularly embellished upon i would say and it's a little more authoritative and passionate then The whole piece ends very calmly and serenely as Scheherazade is putting her king to sleep instead of him killing her. <laughs> and it ends rather peacefully and in a tired way. So, so the when, theme comes back again at the very end. So it's like a big circle. Yeah, 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 lovely. And so can you share a memorable performance with BSO that that you can think of? Wow. Um Beethoven, anything by Beethoven, Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, I particularly found very enjoyable to play because Beethoven's one of my favorite composers. And also when we played um, Sibelius, the Sibelius. symphony, Sibelius Symphony number seven? seven, I think. It was a couple years ago. It was, I just, I had never heard the piece and I just thought it was like, so beautiful. And it reminded me of the violin concerto, too. And it's just, I'd never heard it before that. It just, it struck me as really fun to play. I agree. I remember that performance. It was, it was pretty, pretty incredible. And so in addition to music, you are, we understand you are a math teacher, you mm -hmm. said. And how, how, how did that happen? So, well, <laughs> in college, I majored in English, so clearly that's why I'm a math teacher. <laughs> so when I was, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, applied to a gazillion editor jobs. I didn't get anything when I was a senior, but I did also on a whim apply to New York City Teaching Fellows, and I applied for both the English program, and I saw they had this math immersion program because they desperately needed math teachers, so they would even take someone like me. I got that. I was pre-med for a while, and I was good at math, so it's not... Pre-med student? I started out pre-med. I took calculus. I took chemistry wow. in certain classes in college. And so I, super was, smart. Clearly, the violin <laughs> at age two paid off. <laughs> I, I liked math in high school, so I, I knew that I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was volunteering to do a job that I hated. But essentially, I really am glad that I teach math because it's... It's really concrete. You're teaching a skill, so you can really demonstrate to students what they need to do. They can also discover. They can explore. So I love asking this question, and I have to. What would you choose to be your instrument outside of the violin? That's a tough question. I'm torn between the piano and the cello. I say piano because I did study piano as a kid. I just didn't. The more Practice. we dig, the more we find. Wow, that's wonderful. Keep going. <laughs> I just didn't play it that much. Um, so it would it, it would be amazing to me if I was really, really good at piano, which I'm not. But the other instrument I really wish I could just play is cello because I've never actually tried to play the cello. And it's such a gorgeous instrument. I it just... is. I actually played cello for a couple of years and I miss it. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to have you today and hear more about the person behind the artist. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you very much for having me. Please visit brooklynsymphonyorchestra.org for more episodes of this podcast. 
and to purchase tickets for our next concert on April 9th at 2 p.m. at the Brooklyn Museum. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Felipe Tristan. Thank you for listening.